Hello folks, welcome to this latest Radio Stockton Heath podcast. We're not really a radio station, and we're not just about Stockton Heath. So, stick this in your ear. This Parliament is allowed to function as the true voice of the people of England, and not as a gathering of lackeys to the kids. I don't know if you know, but recently, Warrington was voted the worst place in the country. And in fact, I think the whole of the UK, actually. Anyway, whichever it is, it has been voted the worst place for culture. Now, of course, this seems to have annoyed quite a number of people within the Warrington area. And many of them have expressed outrage at this particular culture survey. I suppose some people feel that they've been hit unfairly. Culture clubbed, even. By contrast, though, I immediately had to ask myself, why? Why has this caused so much outrage? When I thought about it for a moment, I sort of toyed with the idea that the outrage might be because Warrington would now lose money somehow because of the insult. But I'd bet my bottom dollar that Warrington doesn't make anything like a significant amount of money from tourism, although I do think that's an opportunity lost. I know some of you might be thinking, Tourism? Warrington? How is that possible? And in fact, I remember around 30 years ago, Granada Reports running a competition for something or other. Can't remember what it was now. But they ran a competition with a first prize of a week's holiday in Warrington. And the runner-up found solace in not winning by receiving a fortnight's holiday in Warrington. So, clearly at the present time, it's obvious Warrington isn't up there with Stratford or Oxford or Stonehenge or Derby or any of those sort of places that traditionally make money from tourism. In fact, I suppose those places make tons of tourist money because of the cultural experience that they offer. But, if you've seen the tat that these places flog to tourists, you'd be forgiven for thinking that it's all an elaborate joke. All the tat and trinkets that they sell not really what I would call a cultural experience. But what is a cultural experience? What is culture? You may be assured I do not intend now to be schooled in my high office by illiterate farmhands, cobblers and basket weavers. And I suppose if it's not lost revenue that caused such outrage, what was it? When I've spoken to people about this, they all started off eloquently enough by stating firmly, It's an outrage! How can they state so categorically that Warrington is the worst place in the country for culture? As I say, they all started off eloquently enough, but once they'd got that question off to a running start, invariably, everybody I spoke to soon ran out of outraged steam and drifted off onto another topic, or, more precisely, another beer, and sort of forgot the question. A friend of mine concluded, after a few beers in the London Bridge, that the outrage was driven by pride. Yes, you heard that right. Pride. Really? Pride? For Warrington? Now that's not me being dismissive. No, not dismissive. Confusion. I'm not criticising Warrington or its people. I'm one of the 200 or so thousand residents, after all. So, let me explain. I don't actually get that concept of pride for a place that you were born 
After all, you had no say in the matter. I'll expand on that. If you were born in Warrington, and were full of pride for this, would you say you had pride for Derby? No, of course not. But if you had been born in Derby, you'd have no pride for Warrington. See, it doesn't make sense. It's a bit like blind faith, only it's blind pride. You're somehow expected to be proud of somewhere that you had no choice in being born in. Blind pride, as I say. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I don't like Warrington, quite the opposite. I do like it. Well, during the day I do. Dreadful place at night. But that will change, I'm sure, with all the new developments. Any action against any member of this house is a breach of privilege. And I move this house declares as public enemies any who lay hands upon its members. Mr Speaker, you will inform the members of this house that their presence is no longer required by the nation. This parliament is, by my authority, terminated. There's a lot to like about Warrington and its surrounding villages, but I can't ever say I've looked at the town hall gates, for example, and felt so full of pride I get outraged at anyone being indifferent to them. You'll probably know that the town hall was built in 1750 and is now a Grade 1 listed building. Designed by James Gigg and originally named Bank House, it was built for Thomas Patton. Yes, he of Wilson Patton Street, leading up to Banky, And those gates I talked about, the town hall gates, well, they're not grade one listed, they're grade two listed. Are you aware that by your action in this house today, you may have pushed this nation to the brink of civil war? They were made in 1862, and despite being ornate, they are actually made in cast iron, partly gilded, and first shown at the International Exhibition in London in 1862 when they were made, and only brought over to Warrington and erected in 1895, 33 years later. Incidentally, and coincidentally I suppose, in the same year that the town hall gates were manufactured in 1862, you know that Oliver Cromwell statue down at Bridgefoot? Well, this was also originally displayed at the London Exhibition in 1862, but presented to Warrington in 1899. And speaking of Cromwell, something that I do have pride for, a certain amount of pride anyway, I'm not exactly talking about Cromwell, but an association with Cromwell. And that is, well, perhaps I do feel a certain amount of pride when I look at that Indian restaurant on Church Street, The Cottage, or as I know it, Tudor Cottage. It's not that I feel a certain amount of pride for the fact that Cromwell was supposed to have stayed in Tudor Cottage. He didn't, actually. He stayed next door, well, a couple of doors away, in a building that isn't there anymore. It's not the pride that Cromwell was supposed to have stayed there. Well, officially, it's called Oliver Cromwell House. You know where it is on Church Street right next to the entrance into Sainsbury's, which, incidentally, Church Street, a good few hundred years ago, as Warrington was developing, Church Street was the most desirable residence for anybody to live, simply because this was the original focal point for the local market, and in fact, maybe a two-minute walk away, the original location of Warrington Castle. I'll come back to Warrington Castle in a moment. I will give this nation back its self-respect. We will walk in this world with our heads held high. I will liberate man's souls from the darkness of ignorance. 
I will build schools and universities for all. This will become the golden age of learning. I will bring the law within the reach of every common man. There'll be work and bread for all. This nation will prosper because it is a godly nation and because we walk hand in hand with the Lord. No, it's not any kind of a historical pride for having Oliver Cromwell in the town. I actually feel proud at having spent a long summer holiday in there when I was about 12, possibly 13, whilst my grandmother worked there, cooking meals for the bosses at Rylands. At that time, you might remember it, as I've said, it was called Tudor Cottage. And I feel a certain amount of pride only at my grandmother working there, and I got to spend around five weeks in there during the long hazy summer of 1974-1975, something like that, I think it was 74, possibly 73. Actually, it transpires that the people running the original survey that condemned Warrington's cultural history pretty much got it all wrong anyway. So, that outrage didn't really matter. And in fact, I understand, I think I read it in Warrington Worldwide, or somewhere anyway, that the person who delivered the survey has now been invited, and good on him, he's accepted an invitation to come to Warrington and see the culture for himself. I suppose this is in part because, well, they admitted a few weeks later that they hadn't realised all the heritage that Warrington and its surrounding villages actually possesses. For example, the original survey concluded Warrington was a cultural wilderness because it had no canals. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure I've seen a couple of canals in Warrington, although it's not a well-known fact, but Warrington is actually an island. You can't get into Warrington from any direction without crossing water. So, officially, it's an island. It might be a man-made island, surrounded by canals and rivers, but an island all the same. However, the person who did the survey apparently was unaware of the Manchester Ship Canal, you can hardly miss it, or the Bridgewater Canal. He seemed to think they don't really exist. Possibly he thought you'd imagined them. Now, I'm not sure that theory would impress all those of you struggling to stay calm when you've been caught at one of the swing bridges for up to 20 minutes. And I know for a fact that I nearly drowned when I was four in the Bridgewater Canal at Preston Brook. One summer, when I was playing with toy boats by the side of the canal with my two brothers, I reached too far and fell in. You'll know the place, I'm sure. It's where the Neptune nightclub used to be, just by Preston Brook Bridge over the Bridgewater. I tell you what, that canal felt pretty real to me then, and it still does. I still think about it almost daily. And in fact, if it wasn't for an old guy of around 70 then jumping in and saving a three to four year old stranger, you'd not be listening to this podcast now. I couldn't swim, neither could my two brothers. And I suppose playing unattended by the Bridgewater was perfectly normal in those days. 
when your mother was working in the ironically named Neptune, a nightclub overlooking the canal. Now, to be honest, I don't know if the Neptune building is still there. Is it? Anyone know? I've not been that way for ages. Anyway, clearly, those canals do exist. So, by stating that Warrington has no canals, as part of the conclusive evidence of Warrington's lack of culture, is clearly nonsense. But I never knew, to be quite honest, that you would measure culture by the amount of canals you've got. And I suppose what I'm really getting at here is, how is culture assessed? What is culture? The more you think about it, the more the concept of it becomes less easy to define. I could look it up and read, Culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people, defined by everything from language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music and arts. That's one definition, and I suppose it's quite specific and ironically vague enough to indicate that every single part of Britain falls within that definition. Another definition by the English anthropologist, in fact the founder of cultural anthropology, Sir Edward Burnett Taylor, he said, culture is that complex whole which includes knowledge, belief, arts, morals, law, custom, and any other capabilities and habits acquired by man as a member of society. So again, a great definition, but confusing to us as to how this would apply to Warrington. As I started here, culture, what is it? And why does it annoy so many people if you say that Warrington as a town has no culture? Now I'm getting confused myself, so I completely understand if you're getting confused as well. Maybe it's because the ordinary everyday sort of person would think of culture not in terms of anthropology, but possibly more in terms of the reference of the position of a person within society. And is this cultural vacuum that Warrington has been accused of, is this more to do with feeling insulted, possibly because it's been suggested that we are somehow inferior to other people? But that got me thinking too. And I don't think I'd be alone if, when asked to define a cultured person, I'd start off well enough. But once I'd been vague about indefinable attributes like education, manners and money, I'd sort of mumble for a bit before concluding, you know, that's a hard one. And especially when I think of how many rich people I've met over the years that think that money equals manners equals culture. There's a rich guy I know that drinks in the Saracen's Head on one of Warrington's oldest roads, Wilderspool Causeway. Now there's an old pub. Does history equal culture? Anyway, this bloke I know, he's the model of politeness and charm for a bit. But once that third pint kicks in, he just rants about who he'd send home, etc, etc. You know the sort of person, I'm sure. Despite all his money, once the beer kicks in, the real Jeremy comes out and very quickly displays his lack of culture, if we want to define it that way. So, at the moment, I'm still no better off. I still have no idea what culture is when we apply it to a town and its people, and I'm still no better off in understanding why people have got so outraged by it. But it has led me on to think more about Warrington's past, now that I've brought up the Civil War, Oliver Cromwell, etc. So I'm going to dig a little bit more deeper into Warrington's past.
Well, I guess I'm nowhere near working out why being described as having no culture is so insulting to some. I can understand why people are annoyed, but not why they're annoyed. That makes no sense, I know. But I think that's because the word culture actually makes no sense either, when you analyse it. For sure, if some stranger said to me, you have no culture, I'd be annoyed. But only for a moment. And then I would think, maybe you're right, but maybe you're wrong. Define it first, and then I'll be offended as necessary. Anyway, we're getting nowhere here. So, before getting bogged down further with all of this, let me tell you about Warrington's history in relation to Oliver Cromwell, seeing as he provides the town with a degree of historical importance. And some would argue, I suppose, that historical importance provides an element of cultural relevancy. Oliver Cromwell's house, a Grade II listed building, probably originated as a single house and was later divided into three cottages. And as you'll know by looking at it, it's timber framed with painted black infill on a stone plinth. It was 17th century built and there are two stories and is one of 140 listed buildings throughout the Warrington area. So if Warrington's got 140 listed buildings, grade one, grade two and grade three, doesn't that provide Warrington with a degree of cultural importance? Now, what I refer to as Tudor Cottage on the corner of the Sainsbury's entrance off Church Street is not the actual building Cromwell stayed in for a night at the height of the English Civil War. Historians state he actually stayed at the Spotted Leopard, which later became the General Wolf Pub, and on a guesstimate date of August the 20th, 1648, just under 370 years ago. Well, that building, the Spotted Leopard, becoming the General Wolf, that building was next door to Tudor Cottage, or Oliver Cromwell's house, as we should call it. Cromwell stayed there during one of the last strategic campaigns of the Civil War. I think today most Warringtonians might be puzzled why Oliver Cromwell stayed so far away from the town centre. Well, he didn't in reality, because Church Street and around Howley and Fairfield were regarded as the town centre nearly 400 years ago. Even though the first significant bridge at Warrington over the Mersey was constructed in 1285, there were bridges before that, but the first significant bridge at Warrington over the Mersey, even though bridges have been built there, the origin of the town can be said to be around St Elphin's Church. In fact, to be more specific, arguably Howley can be said to be the original focal point because Warrington Castle was built there around the year 1070, four years after the Battle of Hastings. It was built on Moat Hill, circa 1070, but destroyed by fire nearly 200 years later, circa 1260. The castle at Moat Hill has been said to have been located originally roughly where that school is, or perhaps on the higher ground on the fields, sort of between the church and the school and from that lofty position, a castle would have had a good strategic view down across the meadows and fields of Howley, and along the original path of the Mersey towards Bridgefoot and Banquee. I described the view as being comprised of meadows there. Well, the word Howley actually means the marshy meadow or pasture in the hollow or bend of the river. So the area that we know as Howley was named after a marshy meadow in the hollow of the river, the River Mersey. So this is essentially where modern Warrington began as a town. Until the 13th century, this is where the main market was held. The parish church was located, 
and the castle at Mote Hill was originally situated. In fact, Church Street was considered the most desirable of locations for five centuries or more. What we now know as the Marquis of Granby pub was originally a rich man's townhouse. St Elphin's Church can be seen from pretty much anywhere around Warrington now, although its highest spire was added much later, Victorian I think. But who was St Elphin and how did an obscure 7th century Anglo-Saxon saint become associated with Warrington? Nobody seems to know the answer to that. The reason has been lost in time. A little later after St Elphin became associated with Warrington, about a century later, came the first fortified building at Moat Hill, the wooden fortified structure predating Warrington Castle. Incidentally, during the 10th century, a new fortress was built by the Mersey over in Thelwall. It was part of a chain of forts stretching from Chester to Manchester and then across the Peak District. In fact, it's said that the name Mersey means Boundary River. So that's a somewhat potted history of Warrington and a very short introduction to the role of Oliver Cromwell within the town. I want to look more at that in a later podcast. But for the moment, seeing as this podcast started by analysing what culture meant, I'm going to leave it here simply because I've not got an answer. I suppose my first reaction after my initial puzzlement was to ask how do we define culture? And I've not got an answer because, well, that's not too easy to answer because the term culture can mean different things dependent on whether you look at it from the point of view of anthropology or from an historical perspective or from a financial or possibly from an educational view. However it gets defined, I know I can't really get offended by it. Not just because I don't really care what anybody says, but mainly because it's so difficult to define what culture is in the first place. Definitions that seem to apply would indicate that Warrington is full of culture, and in fact, if you think about it, 25% of Warrington is cultural. After all, we do have a cultural quarter. In fact, if you look online for a definition of culture, the nearest they all have in common is that it's a shared experience between a number of similar people. And if we base one perspective of the term culture on historical value, then Warrington as a town can be said to be culturally rich. And to finally finish up here, going right back to the origins of what became modern Warrington, we know that it became into being owing to a strategic choice in that Warrington was the narrowest and lowest point that the River Mersey could be crossed. Historians tell us that in 74 AD, when the Romans arrived, the Mersey was crossed at Latchford. I'm not sure we would call it a real bridge. And around circa 642, the Saxon parish church of St. Elphin was founded. The first proper bridge over the Mersey at Warrington in Howley was around 1285 the second bridge in 1369. This time it was a wooden structure, I'm not sure what it was before that. And around 1495, Warrington Bridge at Bridgefoot was rebuilt in stone by the Earl of Derby, who, somewhat ironically, the Earl of Derby passed through the town on his way to execution in 1657. Now I'm guessing, because it was so much later, this was a different Earl of Derby. It's somewhat grimly ironic, I suppose, that the Earl of Derby paid for the first stone bridge in Warrington and then passed over it later on his way to execution. As I say, I'm sure it wasn't the same Earl of Derby. 
so it seems the Mersey is the reason that Warrington exists. Warrington grew where the Mersey meets the sea, and this was, as has been said before by historians, the upper limit of navigation for boats. This was the lowest point at which the Mersey could be bridged. The fact that Bridge Street is so named, I suppose, couldn't be more appropriate. Although Bridge Street was originally named Newgate Street. Anyway, I'm about done now for this podcast. I feel I haven't really got anywhere. I'm no nearer understanding why people get upset if we come bottom in the Cultural Town League. Who cares? As I said at the outset, I don't suppose Warrington is going to lose much money over this. And indeed, we all know by now that a new bridge is being built across the Mersey, just a little bit down from the Stag on Chester Road. And from what I can gather, cutting across over to Slutch's Lane, one of the oldest lanes in Warrington, and coming out around about Banquee. Now I'm guessing, and it is only a guess, is this the reason that a new railway station is being proposed over towards Westbrook? Is Banquee Station going to be relocated? Who knows? We'll soon find out though, I suppose. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hope to talk to you again soon, where I can stick something else in your ear. See you, folks!